Hello again, I'm Richard Figge, and this is for Reading Out Loud, so good to have you with me. Tonight's author is the artist and writer Will James. An early story he wrote on horse-bucking came to the attention of Max Perkins, the man who discovered and encouraged F. Scott Fitzgerald and published the first novels of Ernest Hemingway. Perkins, who was an editor at Scribner's, read Will James's story and said his writing revealed authentic American vernacular. See if you don't agree when you hear tonight's story. It's all the more surprising, then, to learn that James was a French-Canadian, born Joseph Ernest Nippé Dufault in 1892, and that he spoke English with a French accent. In 1910, he settled in the French Saskatchewan settlement of Val-Marie and learned to be a Western cowboy. He migrated to the United States, where he assumed the name William Roderick James and settled in Nevada. He was arrested for cattle rustling and sentenced to 12 to 18 months in the Nevada State Penitentiary at Carson City. There he concentrated on developing an extraordinary talent for drawing pictures. His parole application included a sketch entitled A Turning Point, along with a note that said, Have had ample time for serious thought, and it is my ambition to follow up on my art. He moved to San Francisco to sell his pictures and also began working as a stuntman in Western movies there. He served in the U.S. Army from 1918 to 1919, then pursued his artwork in earnest. In 1922, he wrote the article Bucking Horses and Bucking Horse Riders, accompanied by his own illustrations. This is what brought him to the attention of Max Perkins. The story, with James's pictures, was published in Scribner's magazine. Perkins pressed him for more stories, and over the next twenty years, Scribner's published twenty books by Will James. He became a beloved author and artist of the American West. His most famous book is perhaps Smokey the Cowhorse, which won the Newbery Medal for Children's Literature in 1927. Tonight's story is The Seeing Eye, taken from the collection Horses I've Known. I must confess I can't remember who brought this book to my attention. If you're listening tonight, please let me know, because I owe you a great debt of gratitude for introducing me to an extraordinary talent. The Seeing Eye by Will James It's worse than tough to be blind, but... I don't think it's as tough for an inborn and raised person as it is for one whose life is with the all-out-of-doors the most of his life from childhood on. The outdoor man misses his freedom to roam over the hills and the sight of them ever-changing. A canary would die outside his cage, but a free-born eagle would dwindle away inside of one. Dane Gruger was very much of an outdoor man. He was born on a little ranch along a creek bottom in the heart of the cow country, rode up with it to be a good cowboy, then, like with his dad, went on in the cow business. A railroad went through the lower part of the ranch, but stations and little towns was over twenty miles away either way. He had a nice little spread when I went to work for him, was married and had two boys who'd done some of the riding. I'd been riding for Dane quite a few days before I knew he was blind, not totally blind, but as his boys told me, he couldn't see any further than his outstretched hand, and that was blurred. He couldn't read, not even big print, with any kind of glasses, so he never wore any. That's what fooled me, and he could look you right square in the eye while talking to you. 
What was more, he'd go straight down to the corral, catch his horse, saddle him, and ride away like any man with full sight. The thing I first noticed and wondered at was that he never rode with us, and after the boys told me I could understand. It was that he'd be of no use out on the range and away from the ranch. Dane had been blind a few years when I come there, and he'd, of course, got to know every foot of the ten miles which the ranch covered on the creek bottom before that happened. The ranch itself was one to two miles wide in some places and taking in some breaks. The whole of that was fenced and cross-fenced into pastures and haylands, and Dane knew to within an inch when he came to every fence, gate, or creek crossing. He knew how many head of cattle or horses might be in each pasture, how all was faring, when some broke out or some broke in, and where. He could find bogged cattle, cow with young calf needing help, and knew everything that went well or wrong with what stock would be held on the ranch. He, of course, seldom could do much towards helping whatever stock needed it or fix the holes he found in the fences, but when he'd get back to the ranch house, he could easy tell the boys when there was anything wrong and the exact spot where, in which field or pasture, how far from which side of the creek or what fence, and what all the trouble might be. It would then be up to the boys to set things to rights, and after Dane's description of the spot, it was easy found. During the times I was with that little outfit, I got to know Dane pretty well, well enough to see that I don't think he could have lived if he hadn't been able to do what he was doing. He was so full of life and gumption, and so appreciating of all around him, that he could feel, hear, or breathe in. I'd sometimes see him hold his horse to a standstill, while he only listened to birds or the faraway bellering of cattle, even to the yapping of prairie dogs, which most cowboys would rather not hear the sound of. To take him away from all that, the open air, the feel of his saddle and horse under him, and set him on a chair to do nothing but sit and babble and think, would have brought a quick end to him. With the riding he'd done, he felt satisfied he was doing something worth doing instead of just plain riding. He wouldn't have cared for that. And fact was, he well took the place of an average rider. But he had mighty good help in the work he was doing, and that was the two horses he used, for they was both as well trained to his wants and cares as the dogs that's used nowadays to lead the blind and what you're called the seeing eye. Dane had the advantage of the man with the dog, for he didn't have to walk and use a cane at every step. He rode, and he had more confidence in his horse's every step than he had in his own, even if he could have seen well. As horses do, they naturally sensed every foot of the earth under them without ever looking down at it, during sunlight, darkness, or under drifted snow. Riding into clumps of willows or thickets, which the creek bottoms had much of, Either of the two horses was careful to pick out a wide enough trail through so their rider wouldn't get scratched or brushed off. If they come to a place where the brush was too thick and Dane was wanting to go through that certain thicket, the ponies, regardless of his wants, would turn back for a ways and look for a better opening. Dane never argued with them at such times. He would just sort of head them where they wanted to go and they'd do the rest to pick out the best way there. Them horses were still young when I got to that outfit, seven and eight years of age, and would be fit for at least twenty years more with the little riding and good care they was getting. Dane's boys had broke them especially for their dad's use that way, 
and they'd done a fine job of it. One of the horses, a gray of about a thousand pounds, was called Little Eagle. That little horse never missed a thing in sight or sound. With his training, the rustling of the brush close by would make him investigate and learn the cause before leaving that spot. Jane would know by his actions whether it was a newborn calf that had been hid or some cow in distress. It was the same at the boggy places along the creek or alkali swamps. If Little Eagle rode right on around and without stopping, Dane knew that all was well. If he stopped at any certain spot, bowed his neck and snorted low, then Dane would know that some horse or cow was in trouble. Keeping his hand on Little Eagle's neck, he'd have him go on, and by the bend of the horse's neck as he went, like pointing, Dane could tell the exact location of where that animal was that was in trouble, or whatever it was that was wrong. Sometimes Little Eagle would line out on a trot of his own accord, and as though there was something needed looking into right away. At times he'd even break into a lope, and then Dane wouldn't know what to expect, whether it was stock breaking through a fence, milling around an animal that was down, or what. But most always it would be when a bunch of stock, horses, or cattle would be stringing out in a single file, maybe going to water or some other part of the pasture. At such times, Little Eagle would get just close enough to the stock so Dane could count them by the sound of the hoofs going by, a near-impossible thing to do for a man that can see, but Dane got so he could do it and get a mighty close count on what stock was in each pasture that way. Close enough so he could tell if any had got out or others got in. With the horses in the pastures there was bells on the leaders of every bunch, and some on one of every little bunch that's sort of held together and separate from the others. Dane knew by the sound of every bell which bunch it was, and about how many there would be to each. The boys kept him posted on that every time they'd run a bunch in for some reason or other. Not many horses was ever kept under fence, but there was quite a few of the purebred cattle for the upbreeding of the outside herds. At this work of keeping tab on stock, Little Eagle was a cowboy by himself. With his natural intellect so developed as to what was wanted of him, he could near tell of what stock was wanted or not and where they belonged. The proof of that was when he turned a bunch of cattle out of a hayfield one time and drove them to the gate of the field where they broke out of, circled around them when the gate was reached, and went to it for Dane to open. He then drove the cattle through, none got away, not from Little Eagle, and Dane would always prepare to ride at such times, for if any did try to break away, Little Eagle would be right on their tail to bring them back, and for a blind man, not knowing when his horse is going to break into a sudden run, stop, or turn, that's kind of hard riding on a good cow horse. About all Dane would have to go by most of the time was the feel of the top muscles on Little Eagle's neck, and he got to know by them about the same as like language to him. With one hand most always on them muscles, he felt what the horse seen. Tenseness, wonder, danger, fear, relaxation, and about all that a human feels at the sight of different things. Places, dangerous or smooth, trouble or peace. Them top muscles told him more, and more plainly than if another rider had been riding constantly alongside of him and telling him right along what he'd seen. That was another reason why Dane liked to ride alone, when they maybe wouldn't feel like it. He felt more at ease, no confusion, 
and wasn't putting anybody out of their way by talking and describing when they maybe wouldn't feel like it. And them two horses of Danes, they not only took him wherever he wanted to go, but never overlooked any work that needed to be done. They took it unto themselves to look for work, which, being they always felt so good, was like play to them. Dane knew it when such times come, and he then would let them go as they chose. Neither of the horses would, of course, go out by themselves without a rider and do that work. They wouldn't have been interested doing that without Dane's company. What's more, they couldn't have opened the gates that had to be gone through, and besides, they wasn't wanted to do that. They was to be the company of Dane, and with him in whatever he wanted to do. Dane's other horse was a trim bay about the same size as Little Eagle, and even though just as good, he had different ways about him. He was called Ferret, and a ferret he was for digging up and finding out things, like a cow with newborn calf or mare with colt, and he was even better than a little eagle for finding holes in fences or where some was down. All that came under the special training the boys had given him and little eagle, and if it wasn't for automobiles these days, such as them would be mighty valuable companions in the city, even more useful in the streets than the dog is, for the horse would soon know where his rider would want to go after being ridden such places a few times. Unlike most horses, it wasn't these two's nature to keep wanting to turn back to the ranch, home, when Dane would ride him away, and they wouldn't turn back until they knew the ride was over and it was time to. Sometimes Dane wouldn't show up for the noon meal, and that was all right with the ponies, too, for he'd often get off of them and let them graze with reins dragging. There was no danger of either of them ever leaving Dane, for they seemed as attached to him as any dog could be to his master. It was the same with Dane for them, and he had more confidence in their trueness and senses than most humans have in one another. A mighty good test and surprising outcome of that came one day as a powerful big cloudburst hit above the ranchways and left Dane across the creek from home. The creek had turned into churning wild waters the size of a big river in a few minutes, half a mile wide in some places and licking up close to the higher land where the ranch buildings and corrals was. It kept on a raining hard after the cloudburst had fell, and it didn't act like it was going to let up for some time, and the wide river wouldn't be down to creek size or safe to cross, at least not for a day or so. The noise of the rushing water was a plenty to let Dane know of the cloudburst. It had come with a sudden roar, and without a drop of warning, and Dane's horse, he was riding Little Eagle that day, plainly let him know the danger of the wide stretch of swirling fast water. It wasn't the danger of the water only, but uprooted trees and all kinds of heavy timber speeding along would make the crossing more than dangerous, not only dangerous, but it would about mean certain death. Little Eagle would have tackled the swollen waters or anything Dane would have wanted him to, but Dane knew a whole lot better than to make that wise horse go where he didn't want to, any time. Dane could tell by the noise— and riding to the edge of the water in the location where he was, how wide the body of wild waters was. He knew that the stock could keep out of reach of it on either side without being jammed against the fences, but he got worried about the ranch, wondering if the waters had got up to the buildings. He worried, too, about his family worrying about him, and maybe try to find and get to him. That worrying got him to figuring on ways of getting back. 
He sure couldn't stay where he was until the waters went down, not if he could help it. It wouldn't be comfortable being out so long in the heavy rain, either, even if he did have his slicker on, and it wouldn't do to try to go to the neighbor's ranch, which was some fifteen miles away. He doubted if he could find it anyway, for it was across a bunch of rolling hills, nothing to go by, and little Eagle wouldn't know there would be where Dane would be wanting him to go. Besides, there was the thought of his family worrying so about him, and maybe risking their lives in trying to find him. He'd just have to get home somehow, and it was at the thought of his neighbor's ranch, and picturing the distance and country to it in his mind, that he thought of the railroad, for he would have had to cross it to get there, and then, thinking of the railroad, the thought came of the trestle crossing along it and over the creek. Maybe he could make that. That would be sort of a dangerous crossing, too, but the more he thought of it, the more he figured it worth taking the chances of trying. That was the only way of his getting on the other side of the high waters and back to the ranch. The railroad and trestle was only about half a mile from where he now was, and that made it all the more tempting to try. So, after thinking it over in every way, including the fact that he'd be taking chances with losing his horse, too, he finally decided to take the chance— at the risk of both himself and his horse, that is, if his horse seen it might be safe enough. He felt it had to be done, and it could be done, and there went to show his faith and confidence in that little eagle horse of his. And that confidence sure wasn't misplaced, for a cooler-headed, brainier horse never was. There was two fences to cross to get to the railroad and trestle, and it wasn't at all necessary to go through gates to get there, for the swollen waters with jamming timbers had laid the fence down for quite a ways on both sides of the wild river, some of the wire strands to break and snap and coil all directions. A strand of barbed wire, even if flat on the ground, is a mighty dangerous thing to ride over, for a horse might pick it up with a hoof, and, as most horses will scare, draw their hind legs up under them and act up. The result might be a wicked sawing wire cut at the joint by the hock, cutting veins and tendons, and often crippling a horse for life. In such cases, the rider is also very apt to get tangled up in the wire, for that wicked stuff seems to have the ways of the tentacles of a devilfish at such times. Loose wire laying around on the ground is the cowboy's worst fear, especially so with Dane, for as he couldn't see, it was many times more threatening as he rode most every day from one fenced-in field to another. But the confidence he had in his two cool-headed ponies relieved him of most all his fear of the dangerous barbed wire, and either of them would stop and snort a little at the sight of a broken strand coiled to the ground. Dane knew what that meant, and it always brought a chill to his spine. He'd get down off his saddle, feel around carefully in front of his horse, and usually the threatening coil would be found to within a foot or so of his horse's nose. The coil would then be pulled and fastened to the fence to stay until a ranch hand who, with team and buckboard, would make the rounds of all fences every few months, doing a general fixing of them. It's too bad barbed wire has to be used for fences. It has butchered and killed many good horses and some riders. But barbed wire is about the only kind of fence that will hold cattle— most of the time, and when there has to be many long miles of it, even with the smaller ranches, that's about the only kind of fence that can be afforded or used. 
Cattle, even the wildest, seldom get a scratch by it, even in breaking through a four-strand fence of it, or going over it when it's loose and coiled on the ground, for they don't get rattled when in wire as a horse does, and they hold their hind legs straight back when going through, while with the horse he draws them under him instead and goes to tearing around. Both little eagle and ferret had been well trained against scaring and fighting wire if they ever got into it, also trained not to get into it, and stop whenever coming to some that was loose on the ground. That training had been done with a rope and a piece of smooth wire at one end, and being they was naturally cool-headed, they soon learned all the tricks of the wire and how to behave when they come near any of that coiled on the ground. There was many such coils as the floodwaters rampaged along the creek bottom, and as Dane headed Little Eagle towards the railroad and trestle, he then let him pick his own way through and around the two fence entanglements on the way there, along the edge of the rushing water. Little Eagle done considerable winding around and careful stepping as he come to the fences that had been snapped and washed to scattering dangerous strands over the field. Dane gave him his time, let him go as he choose, and finally the roar of the waters against the high banks by the trestle came to his ears. It sounded as though it was near up to the trestle, which he knew was pretty high, and that gave him a good idea of what a cloudburst it had been. He then got mighty dubious about trying to cross the trestle, for it was a long one, and there was no railing of any kind on the sides, and part of it might be under water or even washed away. There was some of the flood water in the ditch alongside the railroad grade, and it wasn't so many feet up it to the track level. Riding between the rails a short ways, he came to where the trestle begin, and there he stopped Little Eagle. The swirling waters made a mighty roar right there, and how he wished he could have been able to see then, more than any time since his blindness had overtook him. Getting off Little Eagle there, he felt his way along to the first ties of the trestle, of the space between each which was about five inches, and just right for Little Eagle's small hoofs to slip in between, Dane thought. One such a slip would mean a broken leg, and the horse would have to be shot right there to lay between the rails. The rider would be mighty likely to go over the side of the trestle, too. Dane hardly had any fear for himself, but he did have for Little Eagle. Not that he feared he would put a foot between the ties, for that little horse was too wise, cool-headed, and careful to do anything like that, Dane knew. What worried him most was if the trestle was still up and above water all the way across. There would be no turning back, for in turning is when Little Eagle would be mighty liable to slip a hoof between the ties. The rain had let up, but the wind was blowing hard, and the tarred ties was slippery as soaped glass. It all struck Dane as fool recklessness to try to cross on that long and narrow trestle at such a time, but he felt he should try, and to settle his dubiousness, he now left it to Little Eagle and his good sense as to whether to tackle it or not. If he went, he would ride him across, not try to crawl, feel his way, and lead him, for in leading the horse he wouldn't be apt to pay as much attention to his footing and to nosing every dangerous step he made. Besides, Dane kind of felt that if Little Eagle should go over the side, he'd go with him. So getting into the saddle again, he let Little Eagle stand for a spell, at the same time letting him know that he wanted to cross the trestle, 
for him to size it up and see if it could be done. It was up to him, and the little gray well understood. It might sound unbelievable, but a good, sensible horse and rider have a sort of feel language which is mighty plain between them, and when comes a particular dangerous spot the two can discuss the possibilities of getting over or across it as well as two humans can, and even better, for the horse has the instinct which the human lacks. He can tell danger where the human can't, and the same with the safety. It was that way with Little Eagle and Dane, only even more so, because as Little Eagle, like Ferret, had been trained to realize Dane's affliction, cater and sort of take care of him, they was always watchful. Then, with Dane's affection and care for them, talking to him and training him like the true partners they were, there was an understanding and trust between man and horse that's seldom seen between man and man. Sitting in his saddle with his hand on Little Eagle's neck, the two discussed the dangerous situation ahead in such a way that the loud roar of the water foaming by and under the trestle didn't interfere any with the decision that was to come. There was a tenseness in the top muscles of Little Eagle's neck as he looked over the scary, narrow, steel-ribbon trail ahead, nervous at the so careful investigation that all sure didn't look well. But he'd now left it all to Little Eagle's judgment, and as Dane had all but expected he'd be against trying, Little Eagle, still all tense and quivering some, planted one foot on the first tie, and crouching a bit, all nerves and muscles steady, started on the way of the dangerous crossing. Every step by step from the first seemed like a long minute to Dane. The brave little horse, his nose close to the ties, at the same time looking ahead, was mighty careful how he placed each front foot, and sure that the hind one would come up to the exact same place afterwards, right where that front one had been. He didn't just plank his hoof and go on, but felt for a sure footing on the wet and slippery tarred ties before putting any weight on it and making another step. Something like a mountain climber, feeling and making sure of his every hold while going on with his climbing. The start wasn't the worst of the crossing. That began to come as they went further along and nearer to the center. There, with a strong wind blowing broadside of them, the swift waters churning, sounding like to the level of the slippery ties would seem about scary enough to chill the marrow in any being. But there was more piled onto that, for as they neared the center, it began to tremble and sway as if by earth tremors. This was by the high rushing waters swirling around the tall and now submerged supporting timbers. Little Eagle's step wasn't so sure then, and as careful as he was, there come a few times when he slipped, and a time or two when a hoof went down between the ties, leaving him to stand on three shaking legs until he got his hoof up and on footing again. With most any other horse, it would have been the end of him and his rider right then. As it was, Little Eagle went on like a tightrope walker with every muscle at work. And Dane, riding mighty light on him, his heart up his throat at every slip or loss of footing, done his best not to get him off balance, but help him that way when he thought he could. 
If the shaking, trembling, and swaying of the trestle had been steady, it would have been less scary and some easier. But along with the strong vibrations of the trestle, there'd sometimes come a big uprooted tree to smash into it at forty miles speed. There'd be a quiver all along the trestle at the impact. It would sway and bend dangerously to ship back again as the tree would be washed under and on. Such goings-on would jar little Eagle's footing to where he'd again slip a foot between the ties, and Dane would pray, sometimes cuss a little. But the way little Eagle handled his feet and every part of himself, sometimes on the tip of his toes, the side of his hoofs, and even to his knees, he somehow managed to keep right side up. Good thing, Dane thought, that the horse wasn't shod, for shoes without sharp caulks would have been much worse on than none on the slippery ties. As it was, and being his shoes had been pulled off only a couple of days before to ease his feet some between shoeings, his hoofs was sharp at the edges and toe, and that gave him more chance. The scary and most dangerous part of the trestle was reached, the center, and it was a good thing, maybe, that Dane couldn't see while Little Eagle sort of juggled himself over that part, for the trestle had been under repair, and some of the old ties had been taken away in a few places to later be replaced by new ones. But where each tie had been taken away, that left an opening of near two feet wide. Mighty scary for Little Eagle, too, but he eased over them gaps without Dane knowing. Dane felt as though it was long, weary miles— and took about that much time to finally get past the center and most dangerous part of the five-hundred-yard trestle. For them five hundred yards put more wear on him during that time than five hundred miles would have. And he was far from near safe going as yet, for he'd just passed center and the trestle was doing some tall trembling and dangerous weaving when, as bad and spooky as things already was, there come the sound of still worse fear and danger, and Dane's heart stood still. It was a train whistle he'd heard above the roar of the waters. It sounded like the train was coming this way, facing him, and there'd sure be no chance for him to turn and make it back, for he'd crossed over half the trestle, the worst part, and going back would take a long time. All the dangers and fears piling together now, instead of exciting Dane, seemed to cool and steady him, like having to face the worst and make the best of it. He rode right on towards the coming train. He knew from memory that the railroad run a straight line to the trestle, that there was no railroad crossing nor other reason for the engineer to blow his whistle unless it was for him, himself. Then it came to him that the engineer must have seen him on the trestle and would sure stop his train if he could. Standing up in his stirrups, he raised his big black hat high as he could and waved it from side to side as a signal for the engineer to stop his train. Surely they could see that black hat of his and realize the predicament he was in, that getting off the trestle would mean almost certain death. But the train sounded like it was coming right on, and at that Dane wondered if maybe it was coming too fast to be able to stop. He got a little panicky then, and for a second he was about to turn Little Eagle off the trestle and swim for it. It would have been a long and risky swim, 
may be carried for miles down country before they could have reached either bank, and it would have taken more than luck to have succeeded. But if they got bowled over by some tree trunk and went down the churning waters, that would be better, Dane thought, than to have little eagles smashed to smithereens by the locomotive. He had no thought for himself. About the only thing that made him take a bigger chance and ride on some more was that he knew that the whole train and its crew would be doomed before it got halfways on the trestle, and what if it was a passenger train? At that thought, he had no more fear of Little Eagle keeping his footing on the trestle. His fear now went for the many lives there might be on the train, and he sort of went wild and to waving his big black hat all the more in trying to warn of the danger. But he didn't put on no such action as to unbalance the little gray in any way. He still felt and helped with his every careful step, and then there got to be a prayer with each one, like with the beads of the rosary. He rubbed his moist eyes and also prayed he could see, now of all times, and if only just for this once, and then the train whistle blew again, so close this time that it sounded like it was on the trestle, like coming on and being mighty near to him. Dane had done his best, and now was his last and only chance to save little Eagle and himself by sliding off the trestle. He wiped his eyes like as though to better see, and went to reining little Eagle off the side of the trestle. But to his surprise, little Eagle wouldn't respond to the rain. It was the first time, excepting amongst the thick brush or bad creek crossings, that the horse had ever went against his wishes that way. But this was now very different, and puzzled, he tried him again and again with no effect, and then, all at once, he could see. Myself and one of Dane's boys had been riding, looking for Dane soon after the cloudburst hit and seeing the stopped passenger train with the many people gathered by the engine, we high-loped towards it, there to get the surprise of seeing Dane on Little Eagle on the trestle and carefully making each and every dangerous step towards us and solid ground. We seen we sure couldn't be of no use to the Little Gray nor Dane, only maybe a hindrance, and being there was only a little ways more, we held our horses and watched. Looking on the length of the trestle, we noticed that only the rails and ties showed above the high water. There was quite a bend in it from the swift and powerful pressure, and the rails and ties was leaning, like threatening to break loose at any time. How the little horse and Dane ever made it, with the strong wind, slippery ties, and all a-weaving, was beyond us. So was it with the passengers who stood with gaping mouths and tense watching, what if they'd known that the rider had been blind while he made the dangerous crossing? And as the engineer went on to tell the spellbound passengers how that man and horse on the trestle had saved all their lives, they was more than thankful, for as the heavy cloudburst had come so sudden and hit in one spot, there'd been no report of it, and as the engineer said, he might have drove onto the trestle a ways before knowing. Then it would have been too late." But Little Eagle was the one who played the biggest part in stopping what would have been a terrible happening. He was the one who decided to make the dangerous crossing, 
the one who had to use his head and hoofs with all his skill and power, also the one who at the last of the stretch would not heed Dane's pull of the reins to slide off the trestle, his first time not to do as he was wanted to. He disobeyed and had saved another life. He'd been the seeing eye. The fuss over with, as Dane finally rode up on solid ground and near the engine, we then was the ones due for a big surprise, for Dane spotted us out from the crowd, and smiling, rode straight for us and looked us both square in the eye. The shock and years he lived crossing that trestle, then the puzzling over little eagle not wanting to turn at the touch of the rain, had done the trick, had brought his sight back. After that day, little eagle and ferret was sort of neglected, neglected knee-deep in clover, amongst good shade and where clear spring water run. The seeing eyes was partly closed in contentment. You've been listening to The Seeing Eye by Will James from the collection Horses I've Known. I'm Richard Figge, and this has been for Reading Out Loud. Let me know what stories and authors you would like to hear. Drop me a line, if you will, at rfigge, that's R-F as in Frank, I-G-G-E, at worcester.edu. That's it for tonight. I hope you'll join me again next week. In the meantime, be well, be happy, please stay safe, all the best. Thank you.